0: Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup. I'm your humble host, d That's talent on loan from collab Every week we ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. So thanks so much for joining us to discuss the current events in Mormonism. This is January 28, 2024. We've got a big episode that's coming right at you. Tim Ballard's excommunication details have been leaked and there's some really juicy stuff in there. BYU has decided to start sponsoring a college-wide date night, and it's really unbelievable. President Holland has declared victory in a bizarre TikTok that's gone viral, and it's time to vote for the Brody Awards. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at www.mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can send me an email to collab@mormonnewsroundup.org. at mormonnewsroundup.org. I'd like to welcome one of my program, my fabulous co-host, Chanel. How's it going?
1: It's going good. How How you doing?
0: I'm doing tremendous now. Uh, what's your 60-second Mormon story, Chanel? What are who are you and what are you all about?
1: I uh, joined the church when I was 18 in 1990. I left the church when I was in my late 40s. I have a TikTok channel. I have an Instagram where I talk about some of the issues that led me out of the church. I talk a lot about what happened after Mormon stories. I was on Mormon stories talking to John Delenn about the church and some of the things that happened that led me out of the church. Right now, I am working on merch. I say a lot of times, sit in a minute, 50 things can be true at once, discussing things. And uh, after I call myself an after Mormon and not an ex-Mormon. So what am I doing after Mormonism? Trying to figure out my life, trying to figure out what I need to do because I led my life based on what my patriarchal blessing said. And now I have to base my life based on what I want to do. So I like to play poker. I like ballroom dancing. I love country music. So that's me.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining us. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, you know, I first became aware of you when you were on Mormon Stories, episode 1712, a black teenager joins the Mormon church. And what has been the reaction to that episode, which was one of the most popular of all
1: time? Oh my goodness. It depends on who. So demographically, it depends on who watched this and their reaction. So let's we'll start with Mormons, okay? Because I'm in Utah. Mormons' reaction was varied. mostly they were mad and I got a lot of people asking me hey can you not talk anymore can you not because it's it what what's the benefit what what is it going to do it's going to actually hurt people's lives if you keep talking so basically what they're saying is we don't want you to tell the stories about us and our interaction with you so can you not say anything that was one ex-mormons were like wow I had no idea that this happened uh, this is crazy. I can't believe some of the stuff you went to. Now the the thing that was interesting to me, that actually the worst reception ever was from the black community. They were mad. They were livid. They're like, how can you have been part of a racist church for so long? How did you do that? Why would you do that? And so they're really, really mad. So
0: Wow, that is very surprising. Well, it was very brave of you to go on and tell your story in the way that you did. It connected with a great deal of people, including myself. So, really appreciate the sacrifices that you were willing to make to tell your story. Now, we're ready to jump into the news this week. And there's been a lot of interesting developments in uh, Mormonism this week. And we're going to jump right off with new court filings, detail Tim Ballard's discipline within the LDS Church. So it's been rumored for a while here that uh, Tim Ballard, the so-called rescuer and the the hero of the Sound of Freedom movie, who has now been credibly accused of sexual assault and uh, uh, grifting money from people, it has been rumored that he's been excommunicated, but it has been confirmed here by Fox 13 Utah News. Let's watch this and get your reaction to what's going on in the crazy world of Tim Ballard.
2: A group of women who accused Tim Ballard of sexual misconduct now say there are at least seven criminal investigations against him. Ballard was the founder and CEO of Operation Underground Railroad, an anti-human trafficking nonprofit that permanently separated from Ballard after the women came forward. Last week, Ballard's former assistant, Celeste Boris, traveled to California to file reports with police representing the Los Angeles International Airport, Orange County, Campbell, and San Diego. She also reported a case to the Linden Police Department in Utah, in which she says physical evidence is being tested at the Utah Crime Lab for Ballard's DNA. Kira Lynch, another former OUR employee, says she reported Ballard to the Utah County Sheriff's Office. The women say they trust law enforcement, but they do not have faith in a criminal investigation being conducted by the Utah Attorney General's Office, despite promises and apologies made by Tim Ballard's friend, Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes.
3: He spoke for about 45 minutes. Um, It doesn't change what happened and it doesn't change that he didn't do his job.
2: The Utah AG's office says its investigators are professional and that the case will proceed. An attorney for Ballard referred to the women's civil lawsuits as a shakedown and stated the facts of the case will tell a much different story. So,
0: Chanel, what's your reaction to what's going on with Tim Ballard this week in the crazy world of his allegations?
1: I have so many thoughts, and I don't understand the people that were supporting him. I first heard about him, and it wasn't really the sound of freedom that they led with. They were just like, Tim Ballard, Tim Ballard is amazing, Tim Ballard is this. And I was like, who is Tim Ballard? And then they said, well, the story is about him, sound of freedom. The, The thing that I'm having the hardest time with, and I'm just hitting my head, is what is with members in supporting men that do bad things, especially sexual misconduct, like they're making excuses for him. No, he's fine. First, they were worshiping him, saying that he was great. He said that um, he had some impressions, uh, some psychic uh, dealings with uh, a Nephite, the prophet. Um, he said that um, I, he was really upset and confused that the church, he said the church wouldn't have said anything bad about him. Because they publicly wouldn't condemn his, you know, the members. So I was struggling with that going, why was he thinking that? Why would he think the church wouldn't say anything bad about him? What was their real relationship with him? Did they throw him under the bus? Were they okay with things? Was he supplying them with, you know, things? There's a lot of suspicion and a lot of speculation of his relationship with them. What was going on where he seemed so devastated that the church would condemn him? That is bizarre to me. That rubs me weird. So.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to see what's going on with this. And he's going to be facing a lot of serious allegations and serious charges. And there's been a lot of uh right, shall we call them right wing members who continue to defend his incredibly harmful actions. And we got to see a little bit behind the scenes what happened with his disciplinary court, according to actually it's now called a membership council. But according to this article, in fact the church denounced him back on September 15, 2023. And at that same time, Tim Ballard reached out to his local bishop. Bishop Les Eldridge, who supplied Tim Ballard with a handwritten letter on September 17th saying, Tim, you're in good standing. Don't worry about it. I don't know what's going on with the church headquarters, but you're good to go, buddy. And then right after that, the Bishop rescinded the letter. So, so the church, this is crazy. The church released a statement to the world saying that Tim Ballard is a reprehensible person and that we disavow him. So Tim reaches out to his bishop and says, hey, can can I get a letter from you letting everybody in the world know that I'm in good standing in the church? And the bishop goes, sure, yeah, here's the letter. And then apparently the bishop got some information from the higher ups that said, no, you shouldn't have done that. So the bishop tried to rescind his letter. It's amazing how what happens to people in the church. One minute you're in good standing, the next minute. The rug is pulled right out from under you.
1: Uh church leaders are supposed to have this revelation that's so incredible and this discernment that is just untouched. Yet, y'all didn't know that he was a naughty boy. That th- that is just so weird. It. That's my last thoughts. Is just with the discernment, and I don't understand why they are always defending predators. Like look through the history, they're defending predators, but anybody else. I mean, even the shirt that I'm that I'm wearing, you know, just stuff that I'm wearing, they condemn. I mean, they recently just told a a girl uh, from church, she showed up to a farewell that she needed to cover up because of her shorts, but Tim Ballard, this man can do whatever he wants, and he's a man of God, and he's just a human for making mistakes, everybody else is evil, but not him, and now it's just weird, people are fighting with each other about him, what's so special about Tim Ballard that makes people fight for him when he's doing predatory things, it's weird.
0: That's an excellent question. And this is not the only prominent Latter-day Saint this week who's found his or hit his way into legal troubles. And that's Jody Hildebrand is also back in the news. This was that incredible so-called life coach who was involved with a number of horrific allegations uh, last summer.
4: And today we've got a new filing regarding Jody Hildebrand's side of things, asking for her upcoming hearing a review hearing to be closed off to the public, therefore closed to us, members Mm -hmm. of the media. Mm -hmm. So she's expected back in court on February 1st. This hearing is to look over a temporary restraining order that's served by actually Ruby's husband, Kevin Frankie, the father of those children who were abused by both women. That restraining order would prevent Jody from disposing her property or finances until a judge rules on the restitution for the Frankie kids. Uh, Jody's attorneys argue that her finances shouldn't be public and this comes after a report on jody's home that we put out obviously it was put up on the market towards the beginning of the year
1: and can we talk about this house Sure.
4: It just really quickly it's valued over at five million dollars at least the look price.
1: at this house you guys like really
4: it just shows you how much money she was rolling in so
1: many thoughts because members they gave this woman their money and And on one sense, we love Tim Beller, we love Tim Beller because he saved the kids. And then you have this weirdo hurting the kids and you're listening to her advice on how to hurt them. And you know what I think about it, 2012, there was a friend of mine that was really, really just very staunch uh, LDS person, told me uh, what to do to my 12 year old. I mean, uh, 2012 to do, yeah, I think she was 13 then, Uh, my daughter. My daughter, I was having issues with my daughter come to find out that she was uh, diagnosed with Asperger's. And I didn't know at the time, but she told me, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to strip her room, uh, take everything out, no dressers, no clothing, give her one outfit, uh, just uh, one bed, no fancy bedding, take everything out of her room so she can earn it back. And then it was even a joke about, okay, so this is what you need to do also. And I'm serious, Chanel, this is what you need to do. You need to dress her in orange, And then on her uh, jumpsuit, put her birth date. And that birth date would be like her her number of her being a, what do you call it, an inmate. And I'm wondering if they got that from her because it sounded like some of the stuff that she does. So I'm really conflicted. You love Tim Ballard because he saved the children and you love Hildebrandt and she was hurting the children. I don't get it.
0: You know, there's amazing to see how much child abuse is taking place, unfortunately, from high-profile members every single week. And, you know, the church did release a statement on Tim Ballard, which was somewhat of a vague statement. But the church, and to my knowledge, has not released any statement about Jody Hildebrand, about Ruby Frankie, and about a number of these other individuals. It's amazing to see who gets a church statement around here and who doesn't.
1: I wonder why. So there is a news article that just got my attention and resonated with me so much. And it was Carleen Frazier. And the title really got my attention when she says, I'm the collateral damage of Mormonism, Mormon racism and homophobia. But when she says, everyone knew before I did that the church was white on purpose, writes guest columnist Carleen Frazier, the saints that were perfecting that they were perfecting didn't look like me, didn't think like me. And I resonate with that so much because when I think about it, when they talked about perfecting the saints, I think about this one time when they when I they were trying to find a new Relief Society president and I was talking to some ladies in the ward and they were like, they wouldn't choose you, Chanel. And I was like, what? I, I read my scriptures, I go to the temple, I do this, I pay my tithe, and they're like, oh no, no, no. You don't understand, they wouldn't choose you. And I was like, well, why? And they said, well, first of all, you are divorced. Okay. So that is not an image. You're supposed to be showing uh, people how to um, mirror the family proclamation. And the families are, don't misunderstand me, Chanel, but families are typically white and they have, you know, children. And she didn't say white children, but she said children. And I was like, I have children. Yeah. But the image, what what they want to show is, you know, and I said, what, like, okay say it what what's going on she's okay listen I know it's going to sound bad but it's not bad if you really think about it the image that you need to show for the whole church not just part of church basically she was saying not diversity Is says you need a white woman you need a white man and you need the kids so they're not going to choose you Chanel and that was another time where I thought yeah I think what it's pushing is white and delightsome because that's what they were telling me when I was like, what if you know, what if they choose me? Nope, they're not gonna choose you. And so I resonated with the story listening to some of the things that she said and when she talked about perfecting the saints and perfecting white saints and not black saints because if, if I also think about it, never when I was in the midst of members were they ever trying to um, bring me up to be equal. They always made sure I understood that I could work for them. Like when I think about Jane Manning, she was sealed as an internal servant. And that's how I felt. You could be a babysitter. You can uh, help us clean our house and watch our kids. But that's it. You know, when we're doing business things, unless you're working for us in the MLM, you can't be equal. You can't work in our companies. We won't promote you. We won't put you with anybody else. But and, and that's what it felt like all the time. And I think about my callings. I was nursery leader. I was a stake missionary, bringing people into the church. I went on a mission, stuff like that. But like leadership positions, they're like, no, not you, not not you.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for sharing with that. Her article talked about how Latter-day Saints are basically white men who are out of touch, and that seems to have struck a chord with a number of people, including yourself. I do want to read one thing that she wrote to conclude, and she draws a parallel between the way that the Church treated members of African descent up until 1978 with the way that the Church is treating members of the LGBTQ community now. She said, just as Black people were considered spiritually inferior until 1978, so too will the church see the LGBTQIA community as inferior, until some future time when church leaders will once again need to catch up with what's right and equal in the world, no doubt through divine revelation. Until then, many more stories like my own will surface, and many already have. As Latter-day Saints, we are taught that the gospel delights in the truth of all things, and yet the church culture has proven many times over that it delights in the bearable truths of some things. White fragility is an institutional flaw that is now as much part of the church as the Book of Mormon itself. So many members feel crayoned into these fragile areas of the church where real progress and understanding and genuine love should be glued to a space devoid of growth and accountability. How do you feel about her final concluding thoughts here and the parallels between how the church has treated black members and also how the church has treated gay members?
1: Well, nothing's changed. And this is what I've learned. I've been a member for over 30 years. And this is what I learned. The church has what they think. And it is when she talks about the, the white males making rules and, and, and how they're, they're the ones who lead the church. If you think about it, if you've got some of these white males in their 80s. They have not un, been untaught the, the racist things that they think. So they only yield when there's pressure, when there's pressure to lose then they do that. So I think with the LGBTQIA, they'll do the same thing. They'll wait until the pressure is too much and then they'll weigh the pros and cons of that and then they'll update and change. They don't think anyone is uh, equal. They think LGBTQIA is inferior. They still think black people are inferior. There's still evidence of that. But when you have to yield to pressure They'll
0: do it. There's been a couple of other things, Chanel, this week that were trending as well when it comes to black members of the church. And this really caught my eye when I saw it on X. And it was tweeted out here by The Thoughtful Faith, which is Jacob Hansen, who runs that very conservative, very right wing channel over there. And this really caught my attention because he says this guy gets it. Thanks for your testimony, brother. And this was tweeted out by Opanachi Elvis Sunday, who says, I'm a black member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I feel welcomed, appreciated, and valued. My mission, service, in the church are appreciated, and nobody can tell me otherwise. The gospel is true. This has really been going viral. Why do you think that these type of uh, tweets really catch so much attention?
1: Because the church has a horrible past and present. And so if you get someone, that we call it shucking and jiving, if you get somebody like him, which was somebody like me on my mission, so I was just reading through my journal on my mission, it was extremely, extremely, 1993 to 1995, extremely racist, where they said extremely racist things to me on a consistent basis, but being a member of the church, they told me why that was happening and why I needed to endure so I lied all the time and said, "Oh no, the church is great." And I would like look to him. What do you What do you mean to say? Oh, okay. So no, the church loves me. Look, if they love me, why would I be on a mission? And so the more I said that, what do you think I got? The more love bombing I got, the more support I got, the more pat on the backs I got. It felt good. When you're a young kid, I you went on a mission when you're a female at 21. They had me separate from my family and just focus on church and its membership. And so. If you get this black girl and she's like kind of lost, she doesn't have any friends outside the church. And every time she tells you you're great and you're not racist and you pat her on the back and give her things, she's going to keep talking. You made the point. It went viral. He said, the church treats me good. I'm a black person. Then he love me. It goes viral. That's a lot of attention. That's a lot of attention for him. And then he's gone viral by saying something like that. Have you ever heard of Stephen from Django? That's who he reminds me of.
0: If you click on his actual profile here, a see very handsome fellow here, by the way, he's got a lot of very great picks. He's a faithful member of the church, went on a mission, and he's now a Sunday stool teacher, branch historian. Um, how? And he says, how dare you call black members a fool?
1: Do you have a response to that? How dare we? Because we know better. <laughs> it's foolish. Because what happens is if we don't call out the racism and we don't address it to members, people like this and myself formerly will keep making it harder for other members who are consistently hurt because members won't change because they're like, well, if this black person's okay with it, then everybody else should be okay with it. And so nothing changes. If, if black people are like, listen, I wanna be a part of the member of the church and, and I, I want it to be better, these are the issues, then members have to address that through the pressure, through acknowledgement, through awareness. But if we keep getting handsome people say they love me I'm black and they love me then they focus on that and everything else gets diluted so when somebody like me says "Uh uh-uh it is racist or it is very harmful well he didn't say it and so they're going to focus on that and not on me me telling my story
0: yeah, there's one other part of this thread that I really wanted to take some issue with. And he said that the Book of Mormon teaches that God loves us and that the color of our skin doesn't matter in his sight. This teaching remains unchanged and supported by the testimonies of other faithful brethren and sisters of the church. That has not been my reading of the Book of Mormon at all. What do you think, Chanel?
1: Hey, these glasses are pink. I can say all day long that they're not pink. It, it, I could say it. It doesn't change the fact that they're pink. So we we want to talk about what we see, the Book of Mormon, uh, Pearl of Great Price, even words from the prophets have all said no, that black people are inferior. When I joined the church, Bruce Almonconke's book, that was doctrine. That's what people were teaching me from. They weren't teaching me just from the Book of Mormon. In fact, Mormon doctrine is what they were referring to when they told me that I was cursed, when they told me that in the preexistence that I wasn't valiant and that I needed to prove myself. Everything that was taught to me came from a prophet and came from the Book of Mormon. It, it It's there. It's not like uh, it says, something and then we interpret it any way that we want it blatantly said a skin of blackness it blatantly said that they were cursed because of uh, Cain. and uh, i mean ham and egyptus and all of this stuff these were things that joseph smith translated brigham young hopped on it and ran with it other prophets throughout time especially at byu there's letters written to um nelson lowry um, I think it was 1960 something. Things were written to him from the first presidency that they signed saying, um, you understand that this is doctrine. And it's always been that from the beginning of time that black people are cursed, that black people are this and that. And we needed to, to do that. Like we need to honor the teachings of God. We need to honor the prophet's words. So for him to say that, the glasses are pink. Doesn't matter what. You can say they're black all you want. They're not black. They're pink. And if we want to, if we want to focus on falsehood, that's fine, but it's not true.
0: It looks from his Twitter postings or his ex postings that he went on a mission to Africa. And that's one of the issues that I also have as well is that, you know, the church is having a significant amount of growth in Africa. And the question is, is he teaching when he was on a mission, the history of the church and its uh, racist races past and even the continuance of its racist practices that are in the doctrines of the church, in the standard works of the church? Was he teaching that to African converts that he was teaching in the mission field? And a lot of anecdotal evidence that we have is that, no, they're they're not being taught the history of the church so when he's tweeting out and says that you know there's never been any racism in the book of mormon there's never been any racism in the church and i'm a proud member don't call me a fool that just doesn't seem to conform with a lot of lived realities of people who are in the space
1: so if he is in africa and there are no the 15 aren't there some the things that they're being taught there and the things that they're taught in the states could be different so so maybe maybe they didn't go over that that, that's a that's a real possibility. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, if they're in Africa and they're just teaching Kumbaya and they're all happy and they're not talking about these things because they don't have the members that like to teach those things, then that could be a real reality for him. But he doesn't get to speak for everybody else and he doesn't get to say it's not racist because he was treated a certain way. That's just like patriarchy. You can have women saying, hey, the guys are nice to me. It doesn't mean that they don't embrace misogyny and patriarchy because you don't feel it's that intense for you. That's not fair. And it's, it's, in, it's not genuine.
0: You know, there's been a lot of race issues in just this week. Uh, and I couldn't believe what I saw this when I scrolled across this in the ex-Mormon Reddit here. This is somebody who's <laughs> claiming here, Janelle. This is unbelievable here. They're strolling <laughs> around an LDS meeting house in Harlem, New York. Okay, now this unconfirmed, you know, Reddit, you, you can't believe everything you see on Reddit, but I don't know, this seems, this seems pretty funny here because what we're going to see him strolling around, we're going to see some very interesting artwork that he's, he claims to have seen in an LDS chapel in Harlem, and it really got my attention here. Check out. <laughs> what, are we, what are we seeing there?
1: We see a Snoop Dog.
0: It's it's it basically a a, a, like an African-American Jesus. That's crazy. And he looks a lot like Snoop Dogg. That's that got that got my attention. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying before is the fact that, you know, the church has there's different messaging that you get in different places you know, it's not always consistent across the board. So, what resonates with one congregation may not resonate with the other congregation. So, you have many different realities. But I just, I've never <laughs> seen anything like that because I don't really inhabit those I'm kind sorry. of spaces. I've never seen, I mean, all of the Jesuses that I see from LDS artwork are like real, basically white, maybe olive skinned at the most. But black Jesus, I haven't seen that one before.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just like, oh, Snoop Dogg.
0: It <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty funny to see a Snoop, dog oh Jesus, you know? <laughs> snoop Dogg Jesus, you know?
1: Snoop Jesus. I can't
0: confirm this one. I don't know if it's true or anything, but uh, I thought that funny. was pretty funny. Funny
1: that Reddit has it out there. Hilarious.
0: Yeah. Speaking also, we're seeing more stuff in Africa. You know, the church in in Africa is really, I guess it just happened to be this week that there's a lot of stuff going on here. And this article from the Church News really got my attention. It was that one new stake has been created in Angola and 20 stakes have been reorganized from a number of different places. So these are notices of stakes. So it used to be that the church would sometimes, according to Elder Holland and others, would be doing double digit stake growth every Mm -hmm. single week of our lives. And, you know, a stake now is between, say, two and 3,000 people. And what we're seeing for an entire last quarter here is that only one new stake has been created. And that stake is in Angola, which is, of course, in Africa. All of these other reorganized stakes here, Chanel, whenever they reorganize the stake... 95% 95% of the time when they reorganize it, it shrinks. They're they're combining two stakes together. They're combining wards. They're shrinking the total footprint of the church because of Mormon shrinkage. So we have one new stake and 20 reorganized stakes. And these are typically, a lot of these are from... A lot from North America, Uh, Texas, uh, Houston, Brazil, Brazil, St. Louis, Mexico, Brazil, Peru, Pueblo, Colorado, Brazil, Peru. So what I'm getting from this article here is that the only place of any significance in the entire world, basically in the entire last quarter where the church saw even the slightest shred of growth was in Angola in Africa and all of the rest of the North America, Central America, South America, the Mormon shrinkage here seems to be confirmed.
1: Well, absolutely. If you think about it now. Um, so there's, there's a couple of things happening. I know since I was on Mormon Stories, my inbox is insane. You know, thank you because I've left the church and a lot of people are leaving the church, but not really have had their records removed, but they're not going. they actively are not showing up. They are not paying tithing, which is huge. It is shrinking and they are lying that the church is not growing. It, it just isn't. There's too much evidence to say otherwise. And if you think about people say, and also there's a lot of growth in Africa that tells you two things that the church is growing and it also tells you we're not racist. No, the heck it doesn't, that's not at all what it says. Um, Africa, so if you have a church, a church with the Mormon history growing in Africa, there is a reason why. If you go to a country where people are in the States and the, the people in the States that are teaching these horrible things are not there. So it's like, if if I teach certain things in my home around my children, but then I send half the children to a different house, they don't really know what mom is teaching at home compared to what they think mom is teaching, what they kind of learned what mom was. You know, they might talk to me on the phone. I might say, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to clean your room on Tuesdays. Whereas the kids in the house know that I say, clean your room every day. That proves nothing. That That doesn't prove anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you compare the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with Jehovah's Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists in Africa, the church is growing by far less than those so-called Restorationists' other religions, which are United States-focused, 19th century founding. If you compare us with our sister religions, we're doing very much more poorly than those others. And if you compare us with a lot of evangelical or fundamentalist Christians, they're going way more gangbusters in Africa. So members of the church are, are trotting out Africa and saying, look at all of the great things we're doing in Africa. But if you compare it to what we're seeing across the religious spectrum, the church is not doing well at all. And that's what this article really points out is that the Mormon shrinkage is confirmed. When you reorganizing, think about the percentage here. One new stake versus 20 reorganizations. Those reorganizations are usually 95% of the time shrinking. We're seeing a significant amount of Mormon shrinkage. And the church news, even though they they don't release the exact numbers of the membership, we know from the organization of the stakes that the church is in significant freefall.
1: It's huge. Like, it's huge. It's happening. And more people are going to start speaking out because they feel safer, especially with things like social media and TikTok. They They feel that they have community to walk out as before, Social media wasn't that great where you didn't know what support you had and you knew once you left, you were going to pay. You're going to be alone. Now you have a lot of support. It's happening. It's going to blow up.
0: Yes. Now you can find the Mormon News Roundup. We're on TikTok. We're also on Instagram and we're on X. Let us know your thoughts on what the church is doing in Africa. We'd be very grateful for that. A couple of other things that have really gone viral this week is, you know, with the appointment of Aaron Sharenian uh, as the church's public relations man, you know, he's considered by some folks to be very LGBTQ friendly, and that's ruffled a lot of feathers of the right wing members of the church. So here we have Cardinalis on the right, who runs Word Radio, who's, I would say, is a very conservative member. And on the left, you have Jim Bennett, who is a more progressive member of the church. And we're seeing a conflict in between between these two worldviews in Mormonism that continues to be broiling under the surface, especially with regards to the church's new hire of Aaron Sherinian. I just want to play this one clip here and get your thoughts about the church hiring a new spokesperson who is far more LGBTQ affirming than any other church spokesperson in history.
3: Yes, I can understand why some people would be uneasy about it. I don't really have any patience for the people who not only attack him for it, but uh, try to sort of attack him and then uh, tacitly insist, well, but but I'm not attacking the church and I'm certainly not attacking the brethren and I'm certainly not attacking the apostles uh, because I don't think you can have that both ways. I really don't like seeing a very good man who is, a, is perfect for this position being dragged through the mud by people who don't know or understand I want to steel man your position. At the same time, I, I kind of want to steel man the people that were uh, that, that were concerned. If he can do that, that is that will be proof to the world that this was an inspired choice. What happens when the left goes too far? Can you um, be too much of an ally in the church? Okay, so let me see if I can try to steel man this for you.
4: We all come at this with perspectives and baggage from previous experiences.
3: I I am willing to give grace and empathy to those who are uneasy by this. I'm not really willing to give an inch to anybody who is actively attacking the church. And I really believe that when you're attacking Aaron Sherinian, that's exactly what you're doing. Okay, so
0: now we're seeing a big conflict between progressive members of the church and right-wing members of the church when it comes to Aaron Sherinian, why is this boiling over the surface? It's just been percolating for weeks.
1: It always has. (laughs) I mean, what do you think happened in 1978 when uh, Black people were able to have some kind of, uh, you know, when the ban was lifted and members, Black members were actually able to go into the temple with other members. It's always been like this. It's always going to be like this. And the thing about it is, I have a theory. So the church wants their cake and eat it too. They know that if Aaron says something, they can say, I didn't say it. We don't believe that. But they're still kind of trying to show support without showing support, right? They do this all the time. Same with Bruce Armstrong His book was taught to me. They never told him, hey, stop teaching. They never even took the book off with the shelves until what, 2013? You know, 2013. So they agree with things without agreeing with things. They, they have to be PR. It's like, how do we, Oh, if we hire him, hey, we didn't say it. He said it. And so they get away with it of trying to not be under not have hot water thrown on them. they want they want their take needed to. And I think that's why he's hired because he does so show support he He talks about pronouns. He talks about um supporting, he talked about flags and you know pride and and supporting people, and then other people are having a fit. What about the family proclamation? The family proclamation doesn't support this.
0: So it's kind of like plausible deniability that he can release pro LGBTQ statements without having to contradict church doctrine by because we, the, you know, the senior leaders of the church are have never shown any inclination to be pro LGBTQ as an ally in any way. But if they bring in a spokesperson, then he can do it on their behalf. And then they can just kind of always keep things at arm's distance.
1: Absolutely. That's what that's what I think they're doing.
0: And he asked in that last clip is, can anyone who is a member of the church be too much pro LGBTQ? Can can you be too much of an ally? And I think that that's really where the rubber meets the road here. And I think that there's also a significant split inside of the quorum of the 15 with regards to LGBTQ issues, specifically Luke Dorf, specifically Christofferson, um, maybe a couple of others who are pro LGBTQ, but there's just not a lot of unanimity in this. And we all know that the church eventually is going to cave on this and is going to change their mind on it. Is going to do exactly what the world is doing, and that the church can't hold out forever in this in this particular
1: regard. Hey, I got popcorn and tequila. I'm ready to see it. I'm ready to sit there and go, "Oh my gosh," because it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. A couple of other viral clips that have gone this week here as President Holland in kind of a frank exchange here. I believe he was down in southern Utah here. This clip, you know, it's amazing what goes viral around here. This was kind of a candid moment from Elder Holland. And he actually tweeted it out on his actual official handle on X. You know, the, the uh, Quorum of the 15, they all have. Uh, accounts on Facebook. They have them on X, they have them on Instagram. And this was a very interesting question here. He was asked about what is the message for anyone who is having struggles in their life?
2: One Who goes through hard times is discouraged and then just gets up and moves on and presses forward and does their job.
5: <laughs> well, that's, that is, uh, that's life. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's the savior's life it's uh, the prophets' lives uh, we've uh, we've all had challenges and faced difficulties and uh, you have to remember that that uh, we win that this is a victory already registered uh, this is this is the only ball game i know of where the uh, the score is already on the board but we're still Trying to decide which jersey we wear, you know, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Everybody ought to, everybody ought to understand that. Uh, but that's why we, that's why we get up and go forward, is because we know the end. We know the, we know the final result.
0: Victory has already been declared, Chanel. It's already over.
1: <laughs> that's BS. Okay, so I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. That doesn't work. So if you are in the playoffs and you already know that another team's going to win. What the heck, <laughs> I'm trying not to swear, what the heck is the point of playing your best and giving your all and using all the tricks and knowledge you have, if you already know that the 49ers are gonna beat you? What the hell is the point? Why, why, why do you need to play? Why go to the playoffs if you already know the game is already chosen for you? What, 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 what's the point? A victory? Why would you play? Why would anybody play? That makes no sense to me.
0: It's amazing. If he already knows the future, then why doesn't he just give us a, tell us what's exactly going to happen. Something that's testable, something that specifics could, could be falsifiable. If you know the answer, then tell us what the answer is in, in a way that could be tested by evidence. That's what I would love to see if you're going to make extraordinary claims like that. And this really went viral here. My friend over at uh, the cultural hall who does a lot of uh, fun parody songs, uh <laughs> he, took, he took a crack at this one. Let me see here if... Oh my God! <laughs> Let's
5: see what we got here. You have to remember that that uh, we win. That this is a victory already registered. Uh, this is this is the only ball game I know of where the uh, the score is already on the board. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. The victory is already registered on the board, and and the crazy thing, like we already covered Chanel, is that the church, with the reorganization of the stakes, the church is shrinking significantly. How is that a victory when you have less than one percent of people on this church and shrinking are members of the church? But that's the victory that's already on the board. What? I don't think. I
1: I don't get it. I mean, if you already (laughs) and with this discernment, and if you already know the victory, then then explain i want you to explain Lori vallow i want you to bring jody uh i want you to explain tim valor if you already know these things and you didn't shut them down before you shut them down later That that doesn't make any sense please make it make sense make the victory make sense
0: yeah and the other thing that about the particular candid comment there is that he said we've all faced challenges kind of like he is in solidarity with the people on this planet who are in extreme poverty you know 2 billion people on this planet live on $2 a day or less. There's 25,000 people on this planet who starve to death every single year. And he says, well, we've all faced challenges. And this was a clip that went on the Mormon newscast that I want to play to you that kind of speaks to the privilege that Elder
6: Holland has had in his entire life.
2: Now, those are great observations. Bill, what were your thoughts seeing that?
6: When, When you spend the first 40 years of your life with everybody thinking you're just amazing, you're just amazing. You're just incredible. And then the last 50 years of your life, it's more of the same, plus you have uh, a constant paycheck that's in six figures. You um, you get the greatest health care in the world. Whatever you need done. If you need a freckle removed, we'll take care of it next week. You've got your own physicians who attend to you. You get brand new cars. You get uh, whatever you want. Uh, You've got security that protects you. You, Nobody gets to bother you. You get to be wherever you want to be and do whatever you want to do and live the life you want to live. These guys all come away with four, five, six homes each. Um, I don't think you get to really speak as an authority to those whose lives are hard and who press on in the midst of great difficulty. You have lived an incredibly long life of privilege and praise. Everybody in the room stands up when you enter you don't get to tell people who live really difficult lives as if you're the authority on what it takes to live a hard life and to, to give out advice or counsel. You shouldn't even ask Elder Holland the question.
0: It really reminds me kind of like uh, George Bush back in the uh, original Iraq invasion when he had the mission accomplished on the banner that was behind him on the aircraft carrier. And then we were still in Iraq for like another 10 years after that. But he wanted to declare victory even though the battle was not yet even remotely close to being accomplished.
1: I mean, victory for who? It definitely wasn't a victory for me and mine. And so to hear him and hear a lot of members just talk from privilege when, when I have conversations with them and, and the word victory, I have not seen a victory in my membership ever. Like, how do I win when I'm consistently told, well, you're already punished, you're already naughty, you're already this, you just sit down and behave and do as you're told. Where's a victory? I, 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 don't, I don't like that word.
0: Yeah, and is it a victory for gay members of the church right now who are really struggling constantly with the church, um, difficult messaging that the church has brought out that's been very harmful? Is it a victory for all those uh, teens who committed suicide, especially in the morador, when they were repeatedly told that they were somehow broken or somehow hated by God because of their uh, sexual orientation or trans members of the church who are disenfranchised, is that a victory? Uh, where is the victory here? It's not in the membership in the numbers because that's not growing. It's not in participation rates because those are dropping. The only victory I see is in Enzyme Peak stock portfolio reports, which continue to rise.
1: Do you, Mr. Holland. Tell me how victory applies to me and my 30 years being a member and everything that was taught to me. That's 30 years of my life gone, gone. Uh, that was fraud. I was told that God said that I had to be treated this way and that I chose to be treated this way in the pre-existence and that that is what I have to do. Where is a victory in that?
0: Thanks for sharing on that. I really appreciate that. This is also not the only apostle this week that has made the news. And that's Patrick Kieran, the latest apostle here who replaced M. Russell Ballard. Um, In the quorum of the 15, he's given a one-on-one conversation with KSL and a couple of other news outlets. And believe it or not, Chanel, it's extremely rare to have even the slightest sit-down interview with an apostle. Because from President Holland back in 2012, when he did the BBC interview and he stepped in everything, they almost never give one-on-one interviews in even the most friendliest of places. So let's play this clip from Patrick Kieran and see what his thoughts are. Because this is about the closest that we're going to get to what's in his mind.
7: Deep shock. Those are the words from the newest apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Elder Patrick Kieran says that was his reaction on December 7th when he was called and still feels that same way today.
2: New specialist Dan Rasco sat down with Elder Kieran for a one-on-one interview this afternoon. Dan, he's hit the ground running.
7: <laughs> he really has hit the ground running. You know, he was called on December 7th, and on December 8th, He was at BYU Hawaii speaking at the graduation there. So he's been very busy, but he says the busyness has helped to calm the
8: nerves. Deep shock in relation to the call.
7: Elder Patrick Kieran still feeling the weight of his life-changing call.
8: I don't know that there are words that can describe how overwhelming.
7: The newest and youngest apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at 62 years old, a lifetime assignment, much different than his previous calling, as a General Authority 70.
8: As a General Authority 70, you serve until you're 70. And so we were looking forward seven and a half years and thinking, well, where will we be going back to England? Will we stay here? His call came one day before he was to speak at BYU-Hawaii's graduation ceremonies. The busyness
7: of that day, he says, helped calm the nerves. He was born in England and raised in the UK and in the Middle East, which has become a place of turmoil and war right now.
8: Love thy neighbor as thyself. If we started just with that, imagine the difference there would be in the world, and imagine the the peace that would follow, the calm that would ensue, the healing that would be brought.
7: For those leaving the church or not wanting to be a part of organized religion, he says the answer, ...is still Jesus Christ.
8: Our job is probably to connect them, help them find the stepping stones that connect them with their Father in Heaven and Savior. And that means building bridges with people of all faiths and walks of life. We have to be bridge builders following the example of Jesus Christ.
7: Elder Curran and his wife have four children. He's one of three apostles that have been born outside the U.S. that are currently serving
0: right now. Chanel... Is this the biggest softball interview of all time, or what do you think?
1: It's one of them. I mean, <laughs> when, when he says building bridges, uh, how? Who? I see burning bridges. There's a lot of bridges being burnt right now. Okay, and when he says that uh, people are having faith crisis or leaving the church and all this— he doesn't really say about them leaving Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ is the answer. So if Jesus Christ is the answer, why would it matter if they joined the church or not? If Jesus Christ is the answer and that personal relationship was between them and Jesus Christ, what does the church have to do with it? The church is just an organization that teaches you different things about Jesus Christ. Why do you have to join it to be able to be with Jesus
0: Christ. Almost never will they put themselves into a situation where they can take actual questions from people who understand these issues. We're never going to get a question about the SEC fine and the church withholding its, you know, donations from the members and you know uh, obfuscating so many things or it's racist history or the problems with the LGBTQ community or the lack of transparency or you know the suicide epidemic among uh, gay Mormon youth we're never going to get any of these questions instead we just get the softball answers where you just tee it up it's, all, it's not even softball it's really t-ball you place the ball on there and he just gets all his chances to just hit it out of the park and we never take any we never get very much concrete information out of anyone the only interview of any substance really from the senior leaders in the last two years that had anything of substance whatsoever was Bishop Waddell on 60 Minutes and then Elder Bednar at the National Press Cup briefing. And so in the last two years, we've had two interviews of any sort where we could actually ask reasonable questions to church officials. And this is another in a long line of softball interviews. I wonder where the real Patrick Karen is. Are you willing to come out and answer the questions that people actually have about church history, about the gospel topics essays, about why so many people are leaving? Are you able to answer those questions or do you just want to have softball layups all the time?
1: It's always going to be softball. He knows his place. He knows what he can and can't do. You just make the church look good. You give softball answers. You don't answer the will, the real questions. They couldn't, (laughs) you know what happened? If someone would answer any questions about uh, black people, if they answered any questions about the LGBTQIA, if they answered any questions about fines or really truly answered these questions, There's no way they're not ready for that.
0: Our next article here, we got two last ones to take us out of here. Is this uh, the Mormon land podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts put out by the Salt Lake Tribune with Peggy Fletcher Stack and uh, David Noyce. They put out an episode this week here, uh, Chanel, which I listened to and I thought was a really good episode here. And it was an interview with Sam Brunson, a Latter-day Saint tax attorney in Chicago. And the title of the podcast was, Why Can't Latter-day Saint Girls Pass the Sacrament? Did you listen to this podcast? What are your thoughts about um, what's going on with women's issues in the church this week on this podcast?
5: I
1: did listen to it, and I I agree. I have have a lot of questions when it comes to women and girls in the church. You have them do all kinds of things, but you can't have them pass your sacrament. I even think about on my mission. So if you have sister missionaries, and there's 22 in our whole mission— and there's an issue, I'm gonna have to go talk to my district leader and my zone leader that are male. <laughs> they, they're not gonna understand. So when you think about the girls passing the sacrament, why wouldn't they pass the sacrament? That's, they don't have to have anything in particular to uh, pass it except for walk up and down and pass it. So what's the problem? And so when you're, you get the sacrament passed to you, you grab it and pass it down. What's the problem? The, there's no difference in that. If women can give talks, why can't they pass the sacrament? If they can teach Sunday school to boys and girls, why can't they pass the sacrament? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Right. I mean, it's te- it's technically not an ordinance because you're just holding a tray, you know, and when you when you pass the sacrament down the aisles, I give it to my wife who then gives it to my son. Well, she's a woman handing it to somebody. If she can hand it to my son, then why couldn't a woman hand it to her to begin with? And what Sam Brunson points out in that entire podcast was the fact that this is not really a doctrine of the church. It's not in the scriptures. It's not in the doctrine of covenants. It's just yet another policy Fiat, which essentially became codified in the late 1800s, early 1900s, where the deacons would be were the ones who were supposed to pass the sacrament, and then it, it's never been altered. It's never been challenged. It just seems like the senior leaders of the church. We are just in a status quo, and there is not future light and knowledge which the Father was supposed to give to us. But we just we just sit on the shoulders of whoever came before us, and they said that this is the way it's supposed to be. So that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, transformative leadership. Is about finding the answers to the important questions and transforming your organization so that it finds resonance with more people. And this just seems like a simple solution among many solutions that could be done to empower the women in the church. Any last thoughts on this article here, Shnell?
1: They're not gonna empower women because they love patriarchy. Patriarchy is an addiction, I think, for them. They love it. They feel good about it. And that is another thing to make sure that they manage patriarchy and highlight patriarchy by not having women do things that have nothing to do with ordinances or need a priesthood to do. So.
0: Our last two articles to take us out of here, Chanel. And this really caught my idea eyes from LDS Living, one of my favorite websites out there. And they always curate some of the most amusing LDS articles of the week. This is unbelievable here. Date Night here, Chanel, is coming to church-owned schools and institutes, official church-sponsored Date Night at a college? At BYU? Are you kidding
1: me? Cringe, cringe, cringe.
0: Yeah, so this is BYU, Idaho, Hawaii, and Ensign College, and even the Pathways College, will they're going to reset the culture of dating in a low-stakes, low-pressure way, according to the ch- the church commissioner here, Elder Gilbert. And the first date night here is coming up, Chanel, on Wednesday, January 31st. Uh, and this is also for Institutes of Religion and BYUs, another opportunity to try to get young Latter-day Saints to pair off and get married. I couldn't believe this when I saw it.
1: To me, can okay, be really careful with this work, but there, there are levels of coercion that is just weird. So they notice that people aren't getting married as much. People don't want to have kids as much. So we need to get involved. The church has no business in your bedroom, which they used to try to get involved in that too. They have no business telling you who to date, how to date and what to do with that. But they did. They were very influential in my first marriage and really got very, very heavily involved in my dating life. A woman, they got very involved in telling me who I needed to date and that I wasn't listening to the spirit. And here they are again saying, okay, well, we're going to get involved and tell you what you need to be doing, how you need to be doing. It's none of their business. It is weird and freaky, creepy and culty to me.
0: The craziest thing is that this is the quote that made it through. It said low stakes, low pressure. How about no stakes and no pressure? it's he's acknowledging that we're pressuring young persons to get married because he said it was low pressure he should have been saying there's no pressure involved why would we pressure anyone to get married before they're ready to and it really goes back to the young adult devotional last year with president oaks and his wife where they talked at where he bemoaned the low low birth rate of latter-day saints how it's how it's regressing towards the United States mean and how the marriage age of Latter-day Saints is again, creeping up. I believe it's uh, approaching 24, 25 now. And he talked about how that is going to ruin the church and that our heavenly father is so disappointed if people don't rush out and get married right away. So president Oaks is sitting on the board. He's one of the board of trustees of Brigham and universities. And so he says, you know, how can we get more young people to get married before they're really ready? Well, we can pump in these date nights and start having institutional pressure to try to pair people off before they're really ready to go. And, you know, I taught—I was a student at BYU for a long time. I got a couple of degrees from there. I taught it there for a long time. The last thing that we need at BYU is for more pressure to be put on young persons at all regarding getting married. They need to get married according to their own timetables and according to their own dictates.
1: Mind your business, Oaks. Just mind your business. None of your business. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> none <of>
0: <laughs> absolutely now that does take us to our mormon news roundup poll of the week and that does remind me that we release new episodes of the mormon news roundup every sunday night at 9 30 p.m eastern standard time if you come over to our live chat you can interact with us at that time and it's time to vote for the brody awards are you familiar with these chanel
1: i'm not i was recently familiar with them because a friend sent me uh this information and was telling me about it
0: Okay, so the Brody Awards are basically... The polls are in. Thanks to everyone who was nominated, I'm really thrilled that so many people are helping keep this tradition alive. The Brody's, it's in honor of Fawn Brody, who wrote the No Man Knows Knows My History, the first definitive biography of Joseph Smith, I believe, in uh, the early 1960s. It's in her honor here. And there's a couple of different categories here. And if you don't mind, Chanel, I'd like to uh, get your thoughts on which one of these you want to vote for. And we'll vote in real time and see what people are liking out there as far as LDS a podcasting LDS YouTube uh, YouTube sites Mormon affiliated blog It has every category out there. So let's see what's going on out there and see what you think are the best Mormon sources of information. Because I know you follow this space pretty carefully. So our first choice here is the best LDS interest site blog channel content creator. So our four choices here are the Girls Camp podcast, the CNA podcast, Data Over Dogma podcast, and Floodlit.org. Which one of those uh, do you like the most?
1: Well, I don't. I'm not familiar with a lot of them, unfortunately. And now I'm going to get familiar because this is uh, great to know. Uh, but the only one I'm really familiar with is Flood uh, Floodlit and uh, Dogma. Um, Yeah, Data Over Dogmon.
0: That's put together by uh, Dan McClellan. Uh, So let's vote for Floodlit. And right now, hey, you are number one. So far, you're one out of one. Not that you have to be along with everybody else. But how about the best LDS YouTube channel? We have Zelf on the Shelf, Exmo Lex, Nemo the Mormon, Jordan McKay, and the Mormon Civil War. Which one of those do you like the most?
5: Oh, We're
1: going to have to go with Zelf on the Shelf.
0: Oh, Why do you like them so much?
1: Well, because... I've met her I've met both of them but I really um, she is real like she is probably the realest person that I've just heard and she is very knowledgeable I love her delivery I love that I just love her delivery I love everything about her vibe I'm, I'm obsessed I am
0: speaking of Samantha Shelley I assume right
1: Yes, I'm
0: yes. absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so Nemo the Mormon right now is leading the Brodies, and then Self on the Shelf is second. Okay, let's go to the next uh, category here: the best LDS interest TikTok channel. We have Dan McClellan's channel. We have True Crime with Beth Magnick. We have Cultural Hall. We have Post Mormon with Jesse Jensen, and we also have Analyzing Mormonism. Which one of those would you vote for?
1: Ooh, Mormon True Crime, Beth. Oh, I love it. I'm just like, what? Yeah, I. she's amazing. I love her delivery as well. Yes. And for
0: those of you out in the live chat, go ahead and cast your votes out there as well. Yeah, she is number one and she's uh, gained so many. I believe she has like 150,000 subscribers. Now she's doing um, some amazing work over there. She's pretty good. Okay. So here's a couple of uh, LDS interest podcasts. Which one of these do you like the most Chanel? How about human stories? She became visible sunstone podcast at last. She said it. The Backyard Professor, The 21st Century Saints, Mormon Land, Radio Free Mormon, Cults to Consciousness, Breaking Down Patriarchy, or Mormon Stories?
1: I'm going to have to go with Mormon Stories. <laughs> Why? I really like Breaking Down Patriarchy. I I love learning about that. But that's specific to Patriarchy mostly and only. Mormon Stories, is it it talks about uh, more current Mormon Stories, former Mormon Stories, Black Mormon Stories, it tells stories. It's about any kind of stories that have to do with Mormonism. Rather, it's good, bad, ugly, and it's real raw. And it's, ugh, yeah, Mormon Stories. I love the stories.
0: Very nice. So number one in the poll so far is Radio Free Mormon. And number two is Mormon Stories. A couple of other ones. The best LDS interest website of 2023. Floodlet.org, LDS discussions, QuitMormon.com, 21st Century Saints, WasMormon.org, the widows might report, or Mormon think
1: LDS discussions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and why you're voting for that,
1: Mike? Oh my yeah. gosh, uh, everything! If if you want to have real discussions, you want real knowledge, and you want just oh, I mean <laughs> every like. There's a bullet point, and he—I mean, there's a, a heading and a bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point is just right on, just flawless. I love it.
0: Very nice. My personal vote would have been for the Widows Might report, but I definitely appreciate LDS discussions. Couple last categories here to get us take us out is the best LDS interest book of 2023 we have the path and the gate mormon short story fiction by andrew hall and robert raleigh or convicted the mormons by janice johnson or vengeance is Mine, the mountain meadows massacre and its aftermath by richard turley and barbara jones brown bad mormon by heather gay or the midwife of the wild frontier by melissa tyler or finally the camper killings by johnny townsend i do have to admit that i don't know all of these books that's for sure but uh, do you have a vote
1: we're going to do Bad Mormon. Heather cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> she is amazing. Yes,
0: yeah, definitely. Nice. Yeah, number one vote there is Vengeance is of Mountain Meadows. And number two is Bad Mormon by Heather Gay. And that was definitely <laughs> Heather. a vote. That was definitely a viral book. You know, I don't think we're going to get through this entire poll, but for those of you out there, if you just go on over to the MainStreetPlaza.com, you can take the Brody Awards and, you know, nominate, give an award to somebody out there who's in the Mormon sphere and the LDS space or the ex-Mormon space and, you know, recognize them for the great work that they do. And that does take us to our final segment this week, Chanel, which is the Mormon Joke of the
1: Week. You sure you're ready for this if you need to edit out, go ahead, but I got one for you it's a it's a mama joke okay okay. Mama joke.
0: okay, great I'm ready
1: all right you ready <laughs> Your mama is still mormon she didn't start washing whites and darks together to after nineteen seventy eight
0: Oh, boy! OK, that is a good one. That is a good one. <laughs> I mean,
1: it was uh, a lot with one of our articles, so. <laughs>
0: that, that is terrible, but that is a good one. That is absolutely great. And that just remind me, you know, Chanel, you've got that very popular uh, TikTok channel out there. What are you working on? Uh, what, what projects are you working on? I know that you occasionally appear on Mormon Stories and you've got your TikTok channel. You've got your Instagram channel. What are you working on and how can people get in touch with you?
1: I love it. Hey, thanks for, for this. So right now I actually am working on a book. I have torn all the pages out of my journals to reference. I am writing a book about my life as a, as a Mormon and what I was doing then and what I'm, I'm doing now. Also I'm working on merch. Uh, I say sit in it a minute and 50 needs to be true at once. I say that all the time. It's a tag. It's some, uh, something I do. So I've made some shirts, some stickers, some cups, some hats, uh, some merch on, on that. Um, yeah, I mean, and I'm in Utah. I'm a caterer. So if you want some good Southern soul Creole Cajun food, come talk to me. But that's what I'm doing right now. I am working on this book. And if you want to find me, I am on TikTok. I talk a lot about um, just my experiences and, and what things are happening now, current events. And uh, you can find me, uh, Noir 4 It would be like B-E-T-T-E-N-O-I-R-4. That's the same as Instagram and also on Facebook.
0: Now, I want to thank our uh, patrons for supporting this podcast, especially Andrew J, who is our newest Patreon. And we also have, uh, Chanel, new episodes of the Mormon movie reviews every Monday night at 930 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube. You can come on over and rewatch an old LDS classic in real time with some insightful and occasionally irreverent commentary. And what are we watching tomorrow night, (laughs) Chanel?
1: Saturday's Warriors. Yeah, we're
0: watching Saturday's Warrior tomorrow night. It's episode number 108. Uh, join us in the live chat if you want to t- go down I memory. I
1: I can't believe it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, walk down memory lane with us, and uh, we have a great time with these watch parties. It's really good stuff. I want to thank you so much for joining us in the Mormon News Roundup this week. I want to get a shout-out to Weird Emma on Bandcamp.com for this episode's music. And thanks so much for ruminating with me on the Great and Spacious Beehive. And remember, remember...
1: No one howl of hands can stop this podcast from progressing.